What a pleasure it is to continue our uh, worship this morning and as we uh, go into the focal point, the very Word of God. Of course, everything that uh, we do should be based upon the Word anyway, right? uh, Why don't we uh, grab our Bibles? Isn't that a great thing to do? And let's turn to Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 5. And uh, let's stand. We honor God's Word and read it right now. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the Word of Truth, the Gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world, also it constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And He also informed us of Your love in the Spirit. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And as we approach it this morning, uh, may we see it as the very Word of God, the very truth, and the message that You have for each of us today and for the whole body here today. In Jesus' name, Amen. And I postmodern world that we live in today, we know that truth is not valued. And we know that truth is said to be of whatever you want to make it, however you want it. So it's relative rather than absolute. And so they say that. Well, we know how false that view is. Absolutely false. Now, once upon a time... It seems like you could make a statement like that and everybody would uh, agree with what we just came up with, that uh, truth is to be valued. Um, Sometimes to qualify a statement, we would use a certainty along with it, like you can take that to the bank. You remember that? I don't know if you can say that anymore or not. But, But to back up your certainty, you use this absolute. Yes, you can take that to the bank. Well, today you better not say that because you're not so sure the bank is even going to be there when you go there. Anyway, Christian truth is everything. God's Word is truth. Thy Word is truth, Jesus says in John 17. And we stake our whole eternity on this, based upon this right here, this Word of God. This gospel. Um, there can be a lot of ideas and messages out there that actually are true. But only God's Word can be called the truth. God's Word. Jesus Christ. He is truth, right? Jesus Himself is truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, right? And the life. No, comes to, no one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus says. So He's the one. And He's the one that we place our faith in as He is the Word of God, He is the Word of Truth. The Word of Truth was proclaimed to us, and that Word of Truth is the Gospel. And that's Gospel truth. The Gospel. The Gospel was preached to you. He calls this truth the Gospel. Uh, It's the news of the ages. There is no better news. Right? This is called the gospel or the good news. It's the greatest news. There's, there's no other news than that, really, that's really lasting and existing 
that forever. You know, we've and and we've heard of that. The the gospel truth. We've heard that all of our lives. And people even use that term that are not even believers. That's the gospel truth. Uh, because gospel and truth are so associated with each other, they're synonymous almost. When you say gospel, you say truth. When you say truth, you, they mean gospel. And so people say, and that's the gospel truth. See, they're trying to back that up and saying, listen, you, you may be thinking that, um, that there are no absolutes, but I want to tell you, this is gospel truth. This is the way it is, right? So uh, you can see how those two terms came together. Gospel and truth are one and the same. And it's essential for people who want truth of eternal matters to embrace the gospel. For eternal matters. There's the good news. And, and this actually came from uh, whenever you hear the word truth, uh, or actually gospel, gospel, good news. It was used for during, the, let's say, the Bible times, or during, during this time when this was written. There'd be a battle going on. There'd be some kind of a war. And frequently, uh, everybody in the city would, would be waiting for somebody to come into the city and tell them what it was. So they'd be looking for this appearance of this soldier coming in. And you could tell right away what the news was, good or bad. You could see it on his face. Let's say if his face was shining and he comes in decked with a laurel wreath around himself and is, uh, he's swinging this palm branch, that means that there's joy in his life because they just won. I mean, this is automatic to go and fill the city with this good news. He'd be crying out and, uh, that we won, we won, we won. And that was the word euangelion. Good news. Good message. It's the news of victory. That's what it was to them. So Paul, and throughout the New Testament, will use that word, gospel or good news, euangelion, good news. It's indeed the gospel. It's the news of victory. We have victory, right? So to Christians, the word became to be known as the great news. The greatest news. We have victory. This is all we need to hear. We know that Jesus beat sin and death and hell. Everything that was against God, He defeated at the cross. And we have been forgiven forever. Amen? And so we have total victory. Isn't that sweet? Sweet. Wonderful. It is. And Paul is thanking God right here. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since you heard, uh, we heard of your faith and your love and your hope, they heard it through the Gospel. And that's how they were able to have this faith, love, and hope, this great body of truth. So what we're going to do this morning is look at the power of the Gospel and what it does. And uh, this morning we, we can see that it goes into all the world and it bears fruit. Grace is at the very center focus of it all. It's the very heart. Uh, Servants are the ones who deliver it. And also it produces love in the Spirit. And that's what uh, we get in this section in um, chapter 1. We've already seen the, the faith, the love, and the hope that's been put in them. And then he continues on in... Uh, verse 5, where we left off last week, it says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, and we stopped there, 
because of time restraints. And so now we continue on. He says, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So we get to finish out verse 5. We, we stopped right in the middle of it, didn't we? The word of truth, the gospel. This is what you heard, and this is how you were able to have faith. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Word about Christ. Uh, first of all, what does it do? Well, Paul says, uh, you heard it in the gospel, and verse 6 says, which has come to you. There in Colossae, just as in all the world. Doesn't just come to the Colossians there, of course, and the Ephesians, and in Jerusalem, and some other places, but he says all over. Now, what a mercy it is to hear the Word of God. Can you imagine what it would be like to hear it for the first time? And all of us did somewhere along the line. What a mercy it is to hear this Word of truth. Eternal life is brought to us by somebody bringing in truth, or we read it, God reveals it to us. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1, verse 10. Matter of fact, back up into verse 9. And in verse 8, he says, the gospel according to the power of God. There we go. <laughs> right at the end of verse 9, do you see that? The gospel according to the power of God. That's not what we're saying. The gospel is powerful, folks. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works. Not according to our goodness. But according to His own purpose and grace, and we'll be looking at that word later, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. This happened before the creation. Here we go. Here's our verse 10. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. And, and they're not seeing Jesus Christ. This is the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus but the appearing came through the Gospel. That's how we see Christ appear. Even though we don't see Him with our physical eyes, we see Him through the Gospel. Boy, that's how He brought us to Him, which He had already done before the ages. Don't you like that? This word of truth that Timothy talks about. And it was something that was um, from all eternity. But now it finally came in time and in space and in matter. And there it was and presented to us. So there were internal transformations with all the people that heard that gospel who God had called. When Epaphras... Now, that's who this man is who is from Colossae who delivers the gospel to them. They heard it through him. He came back from Ephesus. It's about a hundred mile distance, and that's a pretty good way as if you're walking or however he got there. But I'm sure he took in a lot of sessions from Paul. Got the gospel, probably got the counsel of God in a pretty complete way. Um, he heard that, he was amazed by it, it transformed his life. Goes back home, the very gospel that he got from Paul delivers that saving news to his relatives, 
to his friends, to his neighbors, whoever would listen to him. He says, you've got to hear this. Most of these people probably are, are Gentile people. So he brought this great news to his hometown as it was automatic for him to share this news. And it might have been groups of people who said, hey, you know, gather around here. And it might have been one person at a time sometimes. He says, listen, you know, whoever he ran into, I mean, he got the fantastic teaching from them, didn't he? Um, and, and from Paul himself. So you know his doctrine was correct, don't you? And I'm sure that he brought the same gospel that Paul had given him. And uh, so, you know, he cannot help to give it out. He heard it, then he believed it, and then he gave it. And that is how it works. We hear it, we receive it, we give it. They hear it, they receive it, they give it. 2,000 years. That's what's happened. And so it continues on. They responded. Not everybody responded. It's just like today. Not everybody's going to respond to the gospel. Matter of fact, there will be many that won't, right? We know that. But the gospel should be as refreshing and exciting to us as the first time that we heard it. Um, The truth. Look what it did to us. But it doesn't stop there. The truth or the gospel continues to change us, doesn't it? It's not a one-time thinking here, but it's something that is going on. So how can we just hold it back when we really should be shouting it from the rooftop? It's the only good news. It's the only news that has lasting value. Is there anything else that has lasting value? There's some pretty interesting things that happen every day and you can catch on the news. Have you noticed it? Almost everything is bad news. And sometimes I want to catch up with what's happening in the weather and really that's not even new either. It's, you can pretty well tell what's going to do the next day. So Carolyn says, hey, don't even turn that on. I don't even want to hear that. It's just depressing. You hear it day after day and I can understand. You know, it's... Do they ever tell you all the great things that are happening in Christ? No. <laughs> they never tell you the, the news of it all, right? So anyway, um, it does make lasting effect on individuals. People are needing it immensely right now as we speak. Most of this city, I would say a good majority are lost people. Our mission field is right here. I'm telling you, we have a lost society. And Jeff City is a great example of it, as it is everywhere. Now that's individually. Let's, let's see what it does. What about universally? The effect of the Gospel is far and wide. There is nothing like the Gospel and what, what it does. But, you know, and there's, there, really, there are a lot of believers. If you compare it to the world's population... It's Christians definitely are in the minority, but aren't you amazed at how many Christians there really are? I mean, there are a lot of Christians. And look at all the Christians down through the ages. Well, we don't believe just because there's a lot of people believing that. Although that is, we see the effect in that sense. But we don't believe because of that, but we believe it because it's, it's true. And even if no one believed God, God is still true, isn't He? So the numbers really uh, are an amazing thing, but that's not what should draw anybody. 
Um, the Gospel transcends all barriers such as nations and tribes and tongues and we don't do it by war as the Muslims do. If, uh, if people don't uh, give in to them as they're in nations, eventually they will kill them. Uh, that's what they do. That's been proven not only in our, in our lifetime, but for, for centuries and centuries that's been going on. But the Gospel, just the truth, changes lives. So it's not just another local sect or some kind of local cult or some other god that they add to the Roman Empire, right? They just had one god after another a god. And uh, it's not stopped by any political barriers, uh, no ethical barriers, no cultural boundaries. There there are no uh, things like that that really stop it. It permeates everywhere. Sometimes it's hard to permeate, especially in the Muslim countries. And in fact, many people are tortured and killed and imprisoned in those countries. There are some countries that don't even have a church building. Um, but there's still Christians there. The church is just made up of all types of people from all over the world. Christ actually reigns from all the way to the east, from the east to the west. Christianity. It's great to know. Look in Romans chapter 1, verse 8. You remember the Roman Empire at this time really was pretty hostile to Christians. As Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. You notice he always starts with God. And he's thanking God. He's not thanking them. He's thanking God for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. The church in Rome is proclaimed all over. And Paul didn't even start the church there. It was already started. They had taken that from Jerusalem, and uh, which went to Judea and then Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, just even in, in uh, Acts chapter 2, we see that there were many people all over the world and they went and took that back uh, to their homeland. He says, it's proclaimed throughout the whole world. The people in Rome, the church there, people have heard about it everywhere. Of what it is. Boy, that, that's an impacting thing, isn't it? I mean, within uh, 30 years uh, since the cross. Say in Romans, and uh, chapter 1, matter of fact, look in verse 16, and, and this is a great theme verse for us today. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. That's what brings salvation, brings that message to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It wasn't just to the Jewish people, but it was for people all over the world. Stay in Romans, go to chapter 10, verse 18. Again, speaking about the Gospel. Paul says, But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. It's about the Gospel. This is about the faith coming by hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ. That's in verse 17. And there's your verse 18. The Gospel. There's that power that was happening. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. For the Word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith 
toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. The effect that has made upon you Thessalonians is going out everywhere. It's being proclaimed. You proclaimed it. Now it's gone and it's just spreading. Isn't that an amazing thing how the church was gaining the thousands and thousands in just a short amount of time? Already thousands in the, in the very first couple of days. First day. And here it is going out everywhere. I, th- I think this is just historically amazing. The reason that it's doing that, our people are charged up because of what happened to them. They saw the resurrection and Jesus had given them a great commission in, uh, let's say, Matthew, the very last chapter, one of the uh, last verses. And He says that He has the authority and and, uh, that comes from heaven and earth. In verse 19, He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Don't keep it here in Jerusalem. Go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. My Lord is near me all the time. <laughs> Even to the end of the age. All the way to the point that whenever He comes back, He's with us right now. It's like He's sitting right in here with us and we're proclaiming what He's already told us to do. And we repeat this and it reminds us and we go, oh yes, that's our duty. We, as we go, proclaim the Gospel. And not only that, we are to disciple. Make them stronger in in that word. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, John the Apostle writes this. He gets this. Great truth from God. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count. I wonder how many that is. <laughs> a lot. Where are they from? From every nation. In all tribes. And peoples. And tongues. Standing before the throne. And before the Lamb. Didn't that get you excited? But just some song could come out of this clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. That's victory, isn't it? And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They come from everywhere. That's amazing. Christ reigns from the east to the west. From the north to the south. It goes out into all the world. That is an incredible thing. We're not the only ones, folks. There are Christians planted everywhere. And we're to plant that truth further out. Our neighborhoods. Next one, Paul <clears throat> relates to, to these Colossians, is also found in verse 6 which has come to you just as in all the world. Also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Even as it has been doing in you. Also, since the day you heard of it. It bears fruit. Paul has never been to Colossae. Now, he has gotten a great message that's been delivered from Epaphras, from Colossae, telling about these Colossians. And he's telling how the the gospel was brought to them and they heard it and now it's making effect and they're growing in the Lord. They just don't become Christians and then that's it. 
The fruit goes on. So wherever the gospel goes, it's going to bring forth fruit because it guarantees it. Sometimes slower than others, but it will bear fruit. And it's all to the glory and honor of God. So, Christianity is not just another set of ethics. There are ethics in the Bible. There are the Ten Commandments, which we are to be obedient to as we are in Christ, and we have uh, the ability and the commandment to do that, yet we know that we will fail in them also. But yet, we desire to live a godly life. What happens is it doesn't come from our strength. It comes from the strength of Christ and it is a living reality. The Word of God is a seed, right? We've seen it presented that way. And the seed has life in it, right? Seeds have life. They don't look like much, so well, this is supposed to be a flowering apple tree. And beautiful, you know. But you, you still, and somebody gives you a seed, and they tell you that. You've got to be kidding me. But you be patient. You put it into the ground. Now, isn't that the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard of? I mean, really, when you think about it, well, if you didn't know anything about that, and they say, what I want you to do is bury it. And that's going to come out with fruit, and, and even it's going to have flowers at one time, too. And it's, They're really pretty, aren't they, Johnny? Especially when you have a whole bunch of them, an orchard. Orchards full. Especially when they haven't been frozen by the frost in the month of May. They're really pretty. So, but they still started out somewhere online a long time ago as seeds. Now, when the seed of the gospel is planted into the heart, it starts producing fruit. There's an immediate fruit. But what happens is that we know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. It's going to take some time as it really starts to grow. And you remember in Philippians, He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He is faithful. Faithful. Now that's the Steve Green version. I remember singing a song, and it's off a little bit from my NAS here, but you catch the picture from that, don't you? Steve Green used to have that song back in the 80s. Back in the 80s. Yeah, some people existed back at that time. Amazing what that will do. He will complete it. He starts it, he completes it. He guarantees it. The gospel has life in it. Because in, in Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active. If you have the Word of God planted in you, that's the seed, it's living. It's active. Things are going to happen. Things will happen. Things are happening. Divine energy. You have the life of God planted into your soul, as Henry Schugel wrote. The life of God is put into my soul. Divine energy. Inward energy. And it spreads. grows. You become more mature. You desire to become stronger 
in the Lord. You desire for that to be seen for the glory of God. It's His work. So you mature. It's an internal spiritual transformation. It takes time. But it's God doing His work who will finish it. But there's also an external growth. And of course, that's the outward works that individuals have. But it not only brings forth fruit in us, but as it does inwardly in each one of us, then it spreads to others as we use each other's gifts. <laughs> and um, then it spreads to people who are lost. So it does ministry. It serves to the lost and to the ones in the church. And um, so it, it's like the, the mustard seed. As we're talking about seed, the mustard seed is so tiny, but yet it grows out so big and we look into all the world today and the Gospel has gone to so much of the world. Even though it has enemies everywhere it goes, the Gospel is still... It's amazing that it wasn't put out, isn't it? And it had it not been a divine work, it would have been. It wouldn't have lasted very long at all. But this truth is... It will do that. It bears fruit, it spreads, transforms lives, produces fruit. Look in Matthew 13... 31 and 32. And here we have parables. It's the parable chapter. Jesus is speaking. talks about the mustard seed. He presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all of the seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. just spreads out, goes everywhere. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. So many verses read uh, and written uh, I mean on, on this topic, this idea, by different authors. We've heard it so many times, but it's interesting to see it, all the different places where it's written. Two two, right? First Peter. Speaking about growth here. Like newborn babies. Long for the pure milk of the Word. Pure milk. Babies constantly need need that milk, right? Constantly need that. And, and Rebecca can definitely relate to that. <laughs> they long for that pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. He just doesn't want us to stay still and to be those infants 20 years later. We have to grow Look in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Of course, Acts, you see the church grow there. You just extend out and keep getting more chapters and you see the church is just growing big. Chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. All the way into chapter 9. It's been increasing, increasing, big numbers. You get to chapter 9 and it's continuing that. And people are enjoying the peace and, and the comfort and they're fearing God and the church is growing. Number one. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 6. 
Paul salutes them. By the way, if you want to look at a model church, you want to see a church how it's supposed to be, look in Thessalonians. They give us maybe the best example of how the church is to operate. If you want to get how the church is not to operate, you go to books like Corinthians and such. But this Thessalonians is a great model. Look at this. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Having received the Word in much tribulation, they were in tribulation when they received the Gospel, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Don't you like that? In their tribulation, the Holy Spirit gave them joy. So that you became an example. To Look, look, look. They became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Isn't that what we want to be? Don't we want to be an example to people all over Jeff City and all over the area? For the Word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. I don't have to come in and reprove you. Look at this. I think this is amazing. So if you get an opportunity to say, ooh, I've got to start reading this Thessalonians and see how the church works. Why? Anyway. Great marks there that are found. Um, One other one. In Acts 12, verse 24. But the word of the Lord, in Acts 12, this is where Herod killed James. And in verse 24, after that happens, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. After James was killed. And the church continued to multiply, continued to grow. That's the gospel, folks. There will be external growth of the church. As each one is rooted, I've always said, we want to be rooted and then you can expand. Be rooted in into the ground and then the expansion happens. Just like a tree. That's what happens. For all you guys who have Facebook, you've got to go to Bob Schaefer's Facebook site there. He has a tree on there. And that's, a, that's the neatest looking tree I have ever seen. And I'm not so sure. I think it's probably Photoshop. But if somebody made that like that or God did it, that's, that is awesome. So anyway, if you get an opportunity, you got to see that picture. Was it okay to use that, Bob? <laughs> But you can see underneath all that it had some great roots to be able to do what what it did, whatever happening there. Anyway, what the influence that it has. Okay, number three. In our passage in Colossians this morning, we've already seen about uh, spreading into all the world and it's bearing fruit, bearing fruit everywhere. Now in verse six, we're still on that verse. Yes, we are. Right at the end of verse six. It's been doing this and it's increasing. It's been doing in you since the day you heard of it. And the next phrase I really love. And understood the grace of God 
and truth. That is one of my biggest prayers for the church today. The, the whole body of Christ all over the world, here in America, here in Jeff City. Just this simple little last phrase of verse 6. They understood the grace of God. So that goes against the grain of a work salvation basis. Something you do. Something you add. Right? It's grace alone. Paul just loved to talk about grace and he would take it to its max. Grace abounds even over... All the sin that a Christian has, grace, grace still abounds, right? He, he took it that. And people say, hey, Paul, maybe you better stop that because that gives license for people to sin. In Romans 6, Paul says, may it never be. That's not the reason I'm telling this. It's because I'm showing you how grace still exceeds all of the sin. I'm not giving you license to sin. May it never be. So whenever he could work in the topic of grace, he would do that. We've already seen that here in Colossians and in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God the Father, right? So he brings it in again. He can't even get out of the first chapter without mentioning grace again. Um, The good news is because of grace. God's grace. That news can be announced because God is giving grace. That's the very heart of the Gospel, isn't it? The, the grace of God is sovereign, He's merciful, He's forgiving, and it's due to nothing we have done but His own grace. So He calls it the grace of God in truth. Uh, there is no other religion that teaches grace in truth. It's only found right here in this Word of Truth. Anybody who is a Christian should be able to understand grace. And most define it as unmerited favor. And that's still a pretty good way of saying that. They must stick with that though. Unmerited. Totally unmerited. Nothing we can add to Him and His work. Um, I'm sure Paul emphasized that so much. Of course, you think of the book of Galatians where he just blasts any kind of works whatsoever. And he comes in there storming at them and saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, what kind of other gospel are you listening to? Anything that adds to the grace of Christ and His work is a false gospel. That's what Paul says. (laughs) This is not anything that I came up with. That's what he says. Anything that is added to that free work of Christ. And he was adamantly against that. Anyone who is not a Christian cannot understand grace whatsoever. They cannot understand that. They might be able to define it. They might even be sitting in churches. But you must understand what grace is. That that gospel truth. The Colossians got it. As Epaphras came in and brought it to him, he says, you heard it and you understood the grace of God. They understood that He was sovereign. They they understood their depravity, how wicked they were, how holy He was, um, how they had broken His law. You can imagine Epaphras coming in and telling them to understand good news. You have to understand that you are a sinner against God's commandments. You have broken His law. 
All of it's broken. And you need to repent because there is judgment coming. So that's part of the Gospel. So that's good news. That leads up to where now they have a need. If they really are liars and they have blasphemed God and they're adulterers in their thinking, and they are, that's the fact of the matter, all humans, they need good news. And the Colossians understood what the law said and then they understood what grace meant. They were cut down to the ground. And it was grace that came ringing into their thoughts. And God is the one that put it there. There's no other religion in the world that teaches grace. And the body of Christ here in America preaches a half-hearted grace. Something that you have to do. Listen, grace will come in and change your life. You will have good works. That's what grace does. But um, all other belief systems, really, all other cults, they're under the assumption that you do something to earn something. And that's the way it is out in the real world. We do something to earn it. So they commend themselves to God, and to God that is a stench to offer up to Him some kind of good works. And we know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We know about for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. We know it's not by works. But then he explains, now here are the... But the good works have been planned from before the foundation of the world. Planned beforehand that you would do good works so when the grace is there. So that puts it in the right order. And so we know that that be the case with the Colossians. Look at the Thessalonians in chapter 2. Been dealing with them quite a bit here today, haven't we? Chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says this to them, but we should always give thanks to God for you. Boy, does that sound familiar, doesn't it? It says that a lot. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has, look at this, chosen you from the beginning long before you were ever even born, for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Do you like that? God chose you from the beginning. That you would be saved. And He does it by sanctifying you by the Spirit, setting you apart, and having faith in the truth. When you're set apart, then you have faith in the truth. Look in Titus... Chapter 2, it's right after the Timothys. Titus, another pastoral letter. And in Titus 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Now that that's... All men. Does that mean every single person in the world? That would be universalism. We can't believe in that. What's he mean? He's meaning all tribes, nations, tongues, people everywhere, all spread out throughout all the world. He's not saying salvation. You saved. You save everybody. Because it didn't. He instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So that puts it all together. 
It's the grace of God that gives us salvation. It's the grace of God that uh, gives us the strength to now deny that ungodliness and now to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age. It's the grace of God that does that. Boy, that's a gracious act. You know, the the Thessalonians didn't have anything to boast about. Yeah, but I did this. They didn't say, well, because of my wonderful intelligence and my amazing awareness, I chose to be saved so I could go into the kingdom of God because I am brilliant. Uh, You never hear anybody saying that and forbid that that would happen. But that's really what some people will say today. Yeah, it was because of my faith. I believed God and so therefore I get to go there because I was... They're not going to say this, but they were smart enough. What made them different from their neighbor over here who doesn't believe, who's heard the same message? It's because they were smarter, right? No. It was because of God's grace. We're saved by grace through the instrument of faith. Faith is the gift of God. Interesting. A gracious act on God's part. The Colossians were instructed the same way as they understood what grace was. That's what Paul said. You understood the grace of God. That's why Paul was so thankful. They received that. Do you think sometimes when when Paul came in and gave the message of sovereign grace that some people were highly offended? (laughs) Well, especially to the Jew, right? You know, especially if the grace is extended to Gentiles who don't deserve it. And of course, Paul explains that in Romans chapter 2 when he says, yeah, you Jews, the same message goes to you. You have offended the holy God. You are being judged. Will be judged. Without the grace of Christ, they're in the same position. So he's so thankful about these Colossians. They exhibited their faith. Uh, What was another thing that they exhibited? Their love. They exhibited their hope. That's what Paul had heard from Epaphras. He says, well, how's their love for others? Well, how about their hope? How about their hope in Christ coming back? Bingo. Epaphras had delivered all of that. And he says, they exhibited it. Salvation is a gracious act upon God's part freely by grace we don't deserve a thing and if we would preach that to us every day it would put things into perspective because here is what my flesh likes to do when things aren't going the way that I think they ought to go I'm putting this right into the way that I think sometimes folks this is my flesh I'm expending too much out here but I'm, I'm telling you this is what can happen If I'm not thinking right, and that can happen, oh, I need to go to the Word of God. I need to start thinking that way. But my flesh says, well, this is the way it's supposed to go. It's not going that way. And all of a sudden, you know, worry can come in. All of a sudden, my anger can come in. I I deserve this. I should have this. I should have that. What's going on here? What's going on, Lord? You know, right? And there's the flesh. The flesh, you know, hates the Spirit. We think we deserve something. We think we have a plan for our life for today. And we start thinking about grace. Mercy. Oh, we don't deserve a thing. We shouldn't even be living. We shouldn't be breathing here right now. We should be in hell. (laughs) But the grace of God. That really helps 
put things into perspective. And sovereign grace people can be just as guilty as Arminians who believe in a little bit of something else along with the grace of God. Right? Well, we can be as guilty because all of a sudden we forgot about God's grace who has amazingly given us life that we get to live today. And anything else is just gravy. Grace. Oh yeah, thank You Lord for showing me that. I kind of forgot. The Holy Spirit enlightened us about this message of grace. You didn't come up with it on your own. Matter of fact, when you when you first hear about it, you hate it. Because you've just been chopped to the ground. When you tell somebody that they have broken God's law, when they think, yeah, and they can even say, I believe in God. You don't even have to start with the Creator, but you start with the Creator God, and then you show the law, and you get up there, and they can say, well, sure, I follow the law. I follow the Ten Commandments. I've been pretty good. Yeah, I might have done a thing or two, but you start telling them really what Jesus said, how they broke the law. And all of a sudden that they are liars. That that is their lifestyle. That they have committed every wrong there is in all the commandments. And if you can really show that to them, they may not like it. But they realize if if they can answer and say, yeah, I, I have thought that before, then what does that make you? Well, I'm not a murderer. Yeah, but if you if you hate that person and you are uh, you have no good wishes for them and you're not trying to build them up and you don't care about them, what's that make you? Makes you a murderer, Jesus said. So what do you expect when you go up before a holy God who is the judge of the universe? What do you, what do you expect the judge to do? Just say, okay, well, I'm going to put this. I'll put this murderer off this time. I'll let him off the hook. No, a righteous judge says. You're judged, right? And that's where the bomb of Gilead then can come in. That's where the truth of the saving gospel of grace, of the glory of God, then comes in. And because they can then say, What can I do? Of course, you show that it's what Christ has done, His sacrifice on the cross, right? So Paul was called to bring this gospel to people, he did it. He also showed it to Epaphras and many others. He brought it to the Colossians. And people turn from the darkness to light. It happens. Now, let's move to verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved, look at that, beloved fellow servant, bond servant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. How the gospel gets to them, the gospel of grace, is that God uses people. He uses apostles, evangelists, He used prophets. And today, He uses everybody in the body of Christ. Look in 1 Corinthians 1.21. Look what kind of message we have. to the Corinthians, to the Athenians, in the Greek world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. 
They didn't come to know God through their philosophy. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God uses preaching to get that message of truth and grace to the lost people. This is the means that He uses. And you can say, foolishness. Why does He say foolishness? Well, that's what it is to the world. It's foolishness to the Greek. You know, you think, well, why didn't He use some other... Why didn't He just zap people, take a magic wand, and just tap them on the head, boom, they're saved. Now, he could have done that, couldn't He? But no, that wasn't a good way because He didn't do it that way. He did it because this is the best way. Even though it's foolishness to people, it doesn't make sense... But he did it the perfect way. There's no better way. It's heralded by common people like you, me, all of us. That's who he uses to bring forth the message of all the ages and we're the ones to go out and herald it. (laughs) And, And he says this later. He says, verse 27... This is what he said. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. That's me. To shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not we're really not anything, are we? I'm nothing. Why does He do that? So that no man may boast before God. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. <laughs> and when you come from that kind of background, you go, wow, I sure don't deserve it to be that way. I uh, I just want to be a glorified janitor. <laughs> and yet He wants me to be a messenger. He wants you to be a messenger. What an important measure, uh, uh, message this is. It's a treasure, folks. It's the treasure of all the ages. A treasure that's lasted 2,000 years. It's the most viable thing there is. And we learn it because in Colossians it says they learned this. They not only heard it, but they learned it just as you learned it from Epaphras. Epaphras discipled them. Discipled is mathetas. Math. Learn. They learned this Gospel. And He taught them well. Jesus said, be learners of Me. To learn. To follow. To be to disciple. So, and he's even saying Epaphras did that, so he's kind of putting him up in a sense, quite a distinction. He says, what he's given you is, is an authority. I'm identifying with this. And so they would say, yeah, what he gave us, Epaphras, was, was the same thing that Paul does. So to disciple back at that time meant not only just to help each other and grow and mature, but the disciple lived with the teacher. He walked with him. He talked with him. He ate with him. Uh, He might have even slept in the same house where he was at. It meant total surrender to this teacher. It meant learning by living. He saw it. He he lived it as he saw it come from this teacher. And we're to make disciples of people. To follow Christ. So Epaphras was faithful. 
He says a faithful or a beloved fellow, he's beloved by Paul and them, and he's fellow, he's with them, bondservant or slave. Doulos is the word there. Uh, soon do loss with with them their slaves he's a fellow slave he's in partnership and then and he says who is a faithful servant of Christ and that's diakonos or minister so we're slaves and ministers of the word of God just like Epaphras was Epaphras was not an apostle he was just a guy like us uh, God uses human channels and he said in Acts one eight you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my what witnesses. You go out and testify of me. What a joy it is to be a part of a great plan. We're part of the story. It's not just that we're in this story as He's put us into it, but we play a role in the greatest story ever. Have you ever thought of that? We're playing a role. I ask us this. Are we amazed by the Word of Truth, the Gospel? Are you excited about this gospel, this truth? Are you awed as it goes out into all the world and God uses so many different ways to break all the barriers? Are we thankful because it bore fruit in our own lives and it increases in our own lives? Are we thankful for that? Do we understand the grace, God's sovereign free grace, and take this for it to be the truth? that makes an effect on us and to make an effect on all of us? Are we reminded of the servants who were faithful who brought the news to us? However that may be. Whoever those servants were. Are we thankful for them that they brought this message to us? And can we truly be a people characterized by faith, love, and hope? May the Lord bless His Word this morning. Let's look to Him. Father, our Lord, our God, this is Your Word. May it prosper in our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.